Well, good morning, Faith Family. Good to see you. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you would all take your Bible and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. If your Bible naturally turns to the book of Acts, that's okay. Just flip over a few pages and find the Gospel of John. We're starting a new series this weekend that's going to take us up to Easter. We're looking at some of the the images, some of the metaphors that are related in the Gospel of John to uh, Jesus. Um, and, and, and we're doing this not just to kind of have an academic exercise or just learn a little bit of Bible. What we're going to discover is that there's something about your life that only Jesus can fulfill. And what these images do, uh, I am statements, what they do is they, they reveal what that is. And so this is going to be very relevant to things you need every day that only Jesus can fulfill. And so I'm excited about that. In fact, I am so excited about this morning's message. I don't want this to be the last time I preach it. So I'm going to do another service. I'll be all by myself right after this one, uh, just because even though this is such a familiar passage, it is really freeing when we understand it. So why don't we get after it? If you've got a Bible, John 4, and if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. John's writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was wearied as he was gone from his journey and was sitting beside the well, and it was about the six hours. This is about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, he gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, a passage that I I realize many people may know very well, but yet I pray, Spirit, that you would come and teach us afresh that you would free us, that we would experience today something that is supernatural. Reveal to us our need. Help us be honest before you. Lord, may you do a transforming work by your amazing grace. 
in our lives. And we ask it to the glory of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. His name was Albert Speer. And had he lived at a different time and in a different place, he might have been known for kind of his intellectual and technological genius, one of the world's biggest designers, but he will actually forever be known as the close associate to Adolf Hitler. You see, it was Spears intellect, his technological genius that that engineered a lot of the German factories in World War II. In fact, of the 24 criminals that were tried at Nuremberg, Speer was the only one that admitted his guilt. And for the next 20 years, he'll spend life in prison. And when those 20 years were up and he was released... ABC's Good Morning America did an interview with him. He, he was putting out a, a book, what would be his last. And in the interview, the reporter asked him this. You mentioned in your book that you don't believe your past can ever be forgiven. Do you still feel that way? Sphere thought for a moment and then here's what he said. I served 20 years in prison, and I am now a free man. I wish I could say that after serving my time, my conscience is clear. But I can't. I still carry the burden of what happened to millions of people, and I can't get rid of it. This book is simply a part of my atonement. A way of trying to clear my conscience. And then the reporter pushed back just a little bit and said, but, but you don't think you can clear it completely? And Sphere said, no. I don't think that will ever be possible. Think about that. Here is a man who for 35 years accepted responsibility for what he'd done. Spent 20 years in prison. His writings were full of remorse and sorrow and regret. He warned everybody he could, every chance he had, not to make the same failures and mistakes he'd made. And yet, even with all of his efforts, he could not silence the cry of a guilty conscience. Do you remember the Edgar Allan Poe story, A Telltale Heart? When a man commits a crime and he goes back at night and he lays down to try to go to sleep, but he can't sleep. Because there's this pounding, this noise of the victim's heart that keeps pounding in his brain. Thump, thump. Thump, thump. Thump, thump. And then he realizes it's not the heart of his victim. It's his own. Guilt. Shame, 
regret. It's like the neighborhood dog that will not stop barking in the night. And no matter what you feed it, no matter how much you yell at it to shut up, it just keeps barking. The canine of conscience will not be quiet. That dishonest business deal, the abortion, the affair, the secret addiction. That thing you said you wish you never would have said. That thing you wish you could have said, but now you don't have the opportunity to. The spouse that you know you're not. The parent you wish you were. That thing you did in high school. That thing you did in college. That thing you did last night. And the canine of conscience keeps barking. And we'll do anything to shut it up. We'll work more hours. We'll read some more self-help books. We'll, we'll give more money to charity. Or we'll go to the well at noon. You see, in John 4, if you know anything about drawing water in biblical times, you know this. You don't do it at noon. It's the heat of the day. Nobody goes then. You, you, you draw water early in the morning when it's cool so that you've got water for the day. And then you draw again late in the afternoon when it's cool so that you've got water for the night. You don't go at noon unless you're trying to avoid something. Or maybe avoid somebody. Or dodge a conversation that you really don't want to have. And I'm going to show this even more as we work through the text. But John introduces us to a woman with a guilty past. And right here, she doesn't want to talk about it. It's why she comes when there's nobody else around. So that maybe once again today, I can avoid having that awkward stare or having that conversation, or being reminded of the memory, I'm doing everything I can to forget. But something has to happen in her life. In fact, something has to happen in our life if we're ever going to get past our past. Verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on these first three verses, but here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus' popularity is growing. It drives the Pharisees crazy. It's enough that they've got to put up with this John the Baptist guy, this bug-eating maniac living in a van down by the river. I mean, he's embarrassing, he's awkward, but he's better than Jesus. And so they start stirring up a lot of division, and Jesus begins to pick up on this. But here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't want to play politics. He ain't in this to play religious games. There are real people with real needs. His time has not yet come, so he takes off for Galilee. 
Verse 4 is key. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to? He had to. It's John's way of describing intent or the intentionality of Jesus, the, the purpose of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't had to anything. He's God in the flesh. He ain't on anybody's agenda but his and the Father's. But for some reason, he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you've ever seen a map in biblical times, you might say, well, yeah, geographic necessity. I mean, look at this map. Samaria is right in the middle of Judea and Galilee. So, of course, he had to go through Samaria. Well, not so fast. Because if you know your history surrounding this, you know that Jews hate Samaritans. In fact, here is the normal route that the Jews would take. They would go to Texas via California. They would cross the Jordan, go up the other side, and then cross back over. They're not even going to let a tippy-toe cross the border into Samaria. They hate those people that much. But yet notice the route that Jesus goes. His route's in the green. He goes straight through Samaria and goes a different route. He's recalculating the direction that the disciples are used to going. In other words, Jesus has to go to Samaria not out of geographic necessity, but out of ministry necessity. He has an appointment And he's going to make sure that he's there on time. Notice verse 6. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it's about the sixth hour or noon. Now, a little side note here. Like, how many of you does it encourage you the fact that Jesus was weary? That he got tired. Anybody here today tired? Live in you, anybody? Like you're, you're working two jobs, you're, you're dealing with school, you're trying to raise a family, you're working overtime, and you're just tired. Let me tell you what, Jesus, the Word made flesh, can sympathize with your weakness. He knows what it's like to be tired. But here's the thing, Jesus is not going to let his being tired Keep him from ministry. Look at verse 31. I'm trying to show you the intent here of Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? I mean, does he have like a snack pack? I mean, is he hiding like a little Debbie in his robe? I mean, what? where did Jesus get food? And here's what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus has to go to Samaria and he's so tired and exhausted, but he's not going to let being tired keep him from ministry. I wonder how many of us have let being tired keep us from doing what we know we ought to do. How many of us, we got our feelings hurt or things didn't go our way and we let that distract us from the ministry that God had specifically called you to do? Jesus here is living with intentionality and purpose. One of these days, I'm going to preach a series through the book of Acts. Um, 
it's just kind of been on my heart lately. I don't know why. Um, maybe around six months or so is probably how long it'll last. And I'm going to challenge you to live on mission. Until that series comes, I hope you get the sarcasm because I'm laying it on thick. I hope you'll learn from Jesus, someone who lived on mission and with purpose to do what God had called him to do, what the Father's will was. Let me ask you, what is it in your life that you have to do in service to God? I don't mean have to in the sense of like guilt or just obligation. I mean you're so passionate about doing that ministry that nothing's going to keep you from it. Now, I'm building towards something. And thus far, what I've tried to show you is this. There is something here in the text that's showing about the intentionality of Jesus. He is dead set on going to Samaria, and he's so dead set on going to Samaria that he's going to destroy all the traditions in doing so. As if it wasn't enough that he's going through Samaria, which is not the route that normally people would make, but when he gets there, he does four things that goes against what's normal. Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. There are four things that Jesus does here that would have been absolutely mind-blowing in that day. So, so come here for a moment. Number one is he speaks to a woman. Now, that may sound like politically uh, incorrect to say that. In our culture, that would seem rather odd. But here's what you need to know. In that culture, a rabbi would not initiate a conversation with a woman. Some of you wives are thinking, I married a rabbi. (laughs) I married a rabbi. Because all my husband does is just grunt and make weird noises, right? I mean, that's about his communication skill level. The, the rabbis would not initiate a conversation with a woman. In fact, there was a group known as the Bloody Pharisees. Do you know why they were nicknamed the Bloody Pharisees? Because they would close their eyes so that they would not have interaction with a female. And what would happen is they'd start running into stuff and like cutting their face and their body. And hence the nickname Bloody Pharisees. It is why this woman is so shocked that Jesus would speak to her. But it it gets worse. He not only talks to a woman in terms of the breaking the norms of that day, he speaks to a Samaritan woman. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Now listen, listen. Some of you have been around church for a long time. You heard this story back in vacation Bible school. But some of you maybe haven't been around church very long or you're new to this whole thing called Christianity. Let me give you just a very brief historical background on this. All the way back to about 722 B.C., a nation by the name of Assyria took Israel captive. And Israel is going to end up being scattered all over the place. And they're going to go into foreign lands, take foreign gods, and marry foreign women. And what will come out of that are the Samaritans. But there will be some Jews that will remain pure and isolated. Many of them will end up in Babylon. Those Jews, the pure ones, will come to hate what they considered the half-breeds of the Samaritans. The Samaritans abandoned Judaism. 
They rejected the first five books of the Old Testament. And they were again considered racially unclean. And so the Jews had nothing to do with them. In fact, it's so bad, I told you earlier, they will not even step foot across the border. And now here you have Jesus striking up a conversation with this woman, which is why she's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. This doesn't happen. But it gets worse. He not only talks to a woman and a Samaritan woman, but he talks to a rejected Samaritan woman. He said, how do you know she's rejected? Well, we know she's coming to the well at noon, which is a sign. We're going to find out later that she's had five husbands before. In the ancient Near East, the wife could not divorce the husband. Only the husband could divorce the wife, which means this. You ready? Five men have looked at this woman and said, I don't want you anymore. And as if that wasn't bad enough, she's currently in immorality because the man she's with isn't her husband. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? Like I'm thinking, how do I get you inside this text? Like, and this is probably not the best example, but it would almost be like, imagine that you walked into a coffee shop and you noticed over in the corner two people that were talking, just the two of them, and you, you glanced and kind of rubbed your eyes and thought, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? And over there in the corner, you have Billy Graham having coffee with Madonna. Now, that's no slam against Madonna. I'm just making this point. You'd take a double look. You, who? Him? Her? Her? Him? Huh? What in the world would they have in common? Why would they have any kind of conversation? But then it gets even worse. Let's imagine you or I are over in the Brian Cafe and you walk up to me and You've got a nice, warm, black cup of coffee. And I say, hmm, give me a drink. If I ever say that to you, the answer is yes. All right? (laughs) But you notice that I don't have anything with me. I don't have a mug. I don't have a cup. I'm empty-handed. Which means you would imply something, wouldn't you? That I want a drink from your cup. This woman looks at Jesus and says, you don't even have a water bottle. Why are you asking for a drink? Meaning, Jesus is not only speaking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, a rejected Samaritan woman, he wants to drink from her jar. In a culture where drinking and eating together is the ultimate form of hospitality. It's why the Pharisees say negatively to Jesus, He eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. When the disciples get back from Taco Tuesday and they see Jesus talking to this woman, they don't have a category for that. They're like, we can't take Jesus anywhere. 
He's always stirring up stuff like this, and we can't say anything because when he speaks, red letters come out. (laughs) So, like, we can't rebuke him, but it's so weird. Like, no, Jesus, what are you doing? So we've got to ask the question, why is Jesus so intent to the point that he's willing to break all the rules? Before we answer that question, I want to give just a moment of application and say this. What is it in your life as a result of your following Jesus that's causing you to go against what's normal in America? Is your Christianity Christian or American? If you looked at how you approached money, lifestyle, friendships, raising a family, would it look like everybody else. Because I'm going to tell you something, faith family. If we're serious about following Jesus, we'll be called a lot of things, but one of them is not normal. Jesus is intent about going to Samaria, and He's so intent that He's going to break all the traditions and all the norms. Why? Why? If you think what Jesus has said to this point is cray-cray, what he says next, this Samaritan woman doesn't have a category for. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you, here it is, living water. And the woman said to him, sir, but you have nothing to draw water. You don't have a water bottle. And the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, he gave us the well and he drank from it himself and so did his sons and livestock. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. In other words, she does not have a category for living water. It's why she says, You didn't bring a jar. You don't have a water bottle. And then she says, okay, I'll take it. That way I don't have to keep coming back every single day. She doesn't get it. Now, we're almost there. We're almost about to see a link in this passage. I've known this story all my life and for whatever reason had missed this link. And it is... To me, it is life-changing. But before I show you that link, I need to define what living water is. What is Jesus offering when he says, I 
will give you living water. I want to go Old Testament in just a moment, but let me give you five things out of this passage that summarizes what this water is, and then we'll see how the Old Testament supports it. Here's the first thing. It's from God. Number two is it's living. It's, it's life water. Number three, if you drink it, you're not going to thirst again. Why is that? Because number four, it produces a spring that is an ongoing source that keeps giving you what you need. And number five, that's because it's eternal. It wells up to eternal life. So it's from God. It's living. If you drink it, you won't thirst again because it's a spring. It's an ongoing source that's eternal. What is it? Let me show you what I think Jesus is referring to in the Old Testament and then link it in the text to this woman. Look at Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3 on the screen. It says this. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Huh. Isaiah 55, 1-3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And then this one's really important, Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. What is this living water? It is, you could call it new life, salvation, cleansing, or the result of the Holy Spirit coming in you that transforms you and forgives you of all your sin. In other words, here it is, Jesus is not offering the Samaritan woman water. He's offering her a new life. Now, why is that important? Because the question would be, why does she need new life? Why would he offer her living water? And here it is. Here's the link. See if you see it. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Uh Uh-oh. The woman said to him, well, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Awkward I mean, imagine you see Jesus in the supermarket and Jesus is like, hey, when's the baby due? And you're like, I'm not even pregnant. And Jesus says, actually, it's going to be triplets. What? Like every part of your story that you think nobody else knows about, he actually knows every detail of it. And here's the link. Jesus brings up the topic she's been trying to avoid. 
You say, how do you know she's trying to avoid this? It's why she goes to the well at noon. It's why, did you notice that she didn't tell the whole truth? Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. I know. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. She didn't want to talk about it. And right after this, when Jesus just like exposes everything, what does she do? Well, you must be like a prophet. In fact, while I got you here, our ancestors like to worship over this mountain and blah, 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 blah. What, she's do- what is she doing? She's doing exactly what you and I do. Namely, anything she can to avoid talking about the things she's been trying to forget. In fact, she'd rather debate theology than to deal with the condition of her soul. So why? I'm, about to, I'm going to sit down because I'm going to jump off the stage. <laughs> I'm serious. I, when I saw this, it was like light bulb. Why does Jesus offer living water, new life, and immediately bring up her past? Answer, because he's the only one that can forgive her of her sins and give her a new life. Without Jesus, she'll never get past her past. It's why he's so intent to get to Samaria. It's why he'll break every single rule on the way because he's the only one that can give living water and without living water, she'll never be free. And the reality is, dear friend, you are the woman at the well. And so am I. So am I. I, We are not Jesus in this story and learning different evangelism techniques. We are this woman at the well who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have a past we cannot escape. You say, "Not, not true for me. I don't have a past. So you're telling me that if we took your entire life this morning as a movie and played it on the screens, there wouldn't be part where, a part where you'd want everybody to close their eyes or close their ears. Things you'd never want your boss to know, things you'd never want your spouse to know, things you wish you didn't know about you. What happened, what had to happen, for her, has to happen to you right now. Number one is this. Stop avoiding your past. Stop avoiding your past. What is it that going to the well at noon looks like for you? You know, that that conversation you try to avoid, that memory that you're trying to erase, what is it that you do to try to avoid that? You work longer hours, you have lots of hobbies, you spend time on the computer or watching TV, you use the needle, you give money to feel good, you hang out with your friends. I need everybody in live venue and everybody here to look at me for just a moment. You will never be clean until you come clean. You will never be clean until you come clean. 
Stop like the woman here at Samaria, avoiding the issue. I don't want to talk about it. You got to talk about it if you're ever going to be free. And second is you've got to start accepting your past. Everybody right here, look again. It happened. It happened. And if you keep drinking from the well of avoidance, you'll still be thirsty tomorrow. Today is the day you stop blaming your spouse, your parents, the friends you hang around with, the bad examples that you've had. Stop being like Adam in Genesis that says, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. So I blame you and I blame her. Stop it. You did it with your hands and your feet and your heart and your mind. Admit your sin. All five husbands and the one you're with now, stop covering up part of your story that Jesus already knows. Stop avoiding it and start accepting it because you will not be clean till you come clean. And then thirdly, which is the hardest challenge of all, it's substitute guilt with grace. Because the only thing that's going to get that canine of conscience from start barking in your soul is accepting that you've been radically accepted in Jesus. Accept this morning that you've been radically accepted in Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to go to the well every day anymore where you end up drowning in guilt. Now what you can do is go to the fountain of living water every day where you can drink of His grace. And you can go there in the morning and you can go there in the evening and you can go there in the afternoon. You can even go there at noon when nobody else is around and you feel all alone and you can drink and you can drink and you can drink of Jesus and you can drink so much until your soul can rest in the assurance that you've not only been forgiven of your past, you've been freed from it. And it's a battle that I know many of you here today fight every single day. But you're going to the wrong source. The only way you'll ever make that dog be quiet is by drinking of living water that only Jesus Christ can offer you. Stop avoiding your past. Start accepting your past. And start living in grace instead of guilt. And you say, well, but you can't just say that. It's not that easy. I know it's not that easy. It's why every day you've got to go to that spring, that ongoing source that is eternal and drink so that you're not defined by who you are. You're defined by I am. And you say, where are you getting all this freedom talk? This is awesome. 
Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Did you see that? Live venue, did you see that? The woman who's been trying to avoid the crowd is now testifying in the midst of the crowd. Because of Jesus, she doesn't have to hide anymore. In fact, she's not only going to stop hiding, she's going to run back to the village and she's going to say, you've got to come see about a man. A man who knew my past. A man who knows my story. And he loved me anyways. And it goes on to say that eventually they believed not just because of her testimony anymore, because they had experienced who Jesus really was. It's freedom. It's freedom that you don't have to hide at the well anymore. You can hide underneath the cross because your past is not who you are. Jesus is your identity when you have drunk living water. I'm not just offering you forgiveness. I'm offering you freedom By drinking. You say, I want to drink. Oh, I know. Because I've had enough people come to me this morning with like tears. And they just like want to grab me and they say, you don't even know how I need it today. Because I'll drive home and the barking starts again. I want to drink. I want to drink. How do I drink? Drinking is believing. In fact, listen to John chapter 6, 35, and we're done. John 6, 35 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And here it is. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What is drinking? It is believing. There are some of you here today, like Albert Sphere, and you, you're pretty convinced that you've got a past that can never be clean. Some of you, like the woman at the well, you're doing everything you can to avoid the topic, so you'll just keep going to the well every day at noon when nobody else is there. And the result is, in your life, you've been trapped for the past 20 years in the prison of your mind. Like the woman at the well, you've known nothing but loneliness, though you have people around you every day. Let me tell you what the good news of the gospel says to you. Today, there is someone waiting at the well for you. He just so happens to be the one that went to the cross for you. So that the sign hanging over your past once 
and for all is this. It is finished. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm praying for true freedom this morning. I'm sure that there are some Samaritan women doing everything they can today to avoid this topic. They don't want to go back there to that event, to that month, to that conversation, to that night. But they'll never be clean until they come clean. And to come to you, the fountain of living waters, and receive to have poured out on our life a brand new one. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Therefore, there is now no, zero, none condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it breaks my heart at the fact that there might be some today that would go back to stale water when today they have been offered a spring of life. Oh, may we by faith drink, drink, whether it's for the first time or maybe we've been a follower of Christ for many years, but we just need to keep drinking, keep drinking. We don't need to go anywhere else. Jesus is all we need. Pour your grace. Pour out your grace on us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.